for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Your ministry tonight. We thank God, everyone that is here, amen, to be part of what God is doing. Thank God. For F-18s. That sounds like freedom to me. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 5, if you join me tonight. We're going to turn to a familiar scripture. No doubt you've read many times. And no doubt you've heard messages many times. And there is a reason tonight that you've heard many messages on this scripture because Christians need to be reminded of this truth tonight. If you saw the message that I sent out earlier on the text update app, you know tonight that we are going to start a new series, a midweek recharge series of sermons. And uh, I like to do uh, these series. I like to preach on the same topic for a few weeks in a row. And I hope tonight that as God uh, would give us his grace and that God would give us his direction and that God would inspire us once again in the realm of evangelism. This is the first pillar of our vision as a church. It is to win souls through evangelism. And yet, even though that is something that we believe in, if I passed around a questionnaire and it said, do you believe Christians should be involved in evangelism? Yes or no? I believe that everyone here would check yes. Because that's, we, we know that's what the Bible says. You've heard sermons on it. And yet, tonight as I'm looking around this building, as I'm looking around this auditorium, And I'm thinking to myself, how many here that are present in this service tonight, how many are here as a result of evangelism that has occurred within the last year? Probably only just a few. The truth is that very few people come into the kingdom unless first someone evangelizes to them. Unless first someone is brave enough, courageous enough, and uh, uh, willing to enter into the awkward moment of talking about Jesus. And that is how people come to the kingdom. But what we must uh, realize tonight is that that's not somebody else's job. That's not only the pastor's job. It's not just the pastor's wife's job. It's not just the pastor's kid's jobs. It is every Christian tonight, we are called in our own way, 
to evangelize. And so I hope, I'm not going to try to beat up on you tonight. I know that sometimes we feel uh, an amount of guilt about this issue. I know that the guilt can begin to weigh down on us, and I'm not here tonight to add to your guilt. I believe, as I mentioned er earlier last week, I believe that the Holy Spirit is good enough to convict you. He's really good at that. And so I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit convicts you already to witness and to be an evangelist for the gospel. What I want to do tonight is to inspire you and to remind you why this is such an important part of what we do, not only as a church, but as a body of Christ. And I want you to uh, open up your heart tonight as we look once again at this familiar scripture, Matthew chapter 5. These great illustrations that Jesus used to compare his people to. So verse Matthew 5, verse 13, read it with me tonight. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come once again by the precious blood of Jesus. I pray once again that our hearts would be stirred to be your hands and your feet. God, that your people would realize the power and the potential that they have in their words and in their lives. I pray once again, give us a vision for those who are lost all around us. Lord, give us a vision to rescue those who are perishing, to bring them out of the fire and bring them into your glorious light and your salvation. God, once again, stir our hearts for the multitudes that are here in this city, God, who do not know you and do not live for you. I'm praying that by by the Holy Spirit that you would convict us and bring us once again into evangelism tonight. We give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Amen. I want to preach a message I've called, No Excuses. Oh, because we're good at excuses, aren't we? We're real good at excuses. Some are better than others. But tonight, I believe that the Word of God leaves us with no excuse. No excuse when it comes to living the life that God has set before us. I believe tonight that you and I are called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I believe that you and I, that, that uh, you don't need, a, uh, you don't need a, a letter behind your name. You don't need a diploma from a Bible school. You don't need to pass an exam. All you need tonight is a testimony. You have a testimony? You have a story? That's a big fancy word for a story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. A testimony. 
If anyone here has been touched by the hand of the master, if your life has been changed, then guess what? You have a story to tell. You have something to say in a lost and dying generation. And if you don't have a testimony, if you don't have a compelling story, if your life hasn't been changed by the Lord, then you need to get saved and come to this altar and repent. Because Christ is one who changes lives. There is not one person that Jesus touched and who remained exactly the same. Anytime Jesus touched someone, they were changed radically. Some of them changed for the worse. Some of them, like the Pharisees, they saw Jesus, spoke to Jesus, and what happened? Their hearts got hardened. But everyone else whose hearts were not hardened, Jesus came into their lives and radically transformed them. He put his hand on people and would radically change them. And so I don't buy the excuse that my life has always just been the same, Pastor, and I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. If you've always been the same and nothing has ever changed, then the Bible says you're still in your sins. And you're still the son of, the, of this world. And you will live in his judgment. But if you've been touched by the king, then we have reason tonight to rejoice. That's why we come to church. We have reason to lift up our hands and praise and sing songs and clap our hands and get excited about Jesus. If you paid $75 to buy a ticket to go into a basketball game and your favorite player, he got behind the three-point line and sunk one at the buzzer, you wouldn't just sit there and say, oh, that was cool. Would you? That's a reason to rejoice, isn't it? That's a reason to jump up and scream. You wouldn't pay $250 to go see the Washington Redskins score a, a touchdown in the last seconds of the game and sit there and say, oh, that was pretty good. You wouldn't do that. You'd jump up. You'd holler. You'd scream. You'd get excited. They did it. They won my team. And what does it really matter? In a hundred years, who cares? And yet, we come to church with long, sullen faces. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm so happy the Lord saved me. Can't you see how happy I am? Tonight, I believe that if God has touched us, we've got a story to tell. We've got a testimony. And we should not continue to excuse ourselves from the responsibility to preach this gospel. Let me give you a few scriptures tonight. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Who is he speaking to? His disciples. He said, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. So you remember how God sent his Son into the world? The same one who sat on the throne of glory and power and prominence and in heaven where the angels never stopped worshiping him? And then the Father says, hey, I need you to go down to that sinful world to be born in a stable next to the cows and the sheep. And as the Father sent the Son, so also the Son has sent you. 
Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we go to places that we don't want to go. Sometimes we have to do things or speak to people that we don't want to speak to. But that's what it means if the Father has sent his Son and the Son has sent us. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 15, which we have planted on the wall back there. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. It's not enough just to have a scripture printed on the wall. If it's not printed on your heart. Luke 24, 47, the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And Acts 1, verse 8, you shall receive power. Here's where we start to feel uh, incompetent. We start to feel like we can't do it. We start to feel like I'm not prepared. I'm not equipped. God, I'm not the talented. I'm not, uh, I'm, I, I don't speak well. So how is it I'm supposed to do this? Well, God has an answer for that. Acts 1 verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is the power for? Is it for kingdoms and dominions and exercising authority over people? No, the power that God gives us is for this reason, that you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Tonight, we live in a world that is in need. Can I remind you that Virginia Beach needs Jesus? Can I remind you, look, I think there's still a few sinners around here. If you don't believe me, just knock on your neighbor's door and see what's going on in there. It's not going to take long till you figure out them folks need Jesus. Broken homes, marriages falling apart, people cheating on everybody. Moms and dads leaving home, running off with some fling. Young people can't stay in one place. Drugs, suicide. You know, teen suicide has never been higher in the the United States. You know, tonight, mental problems, the mental hospitals are filled to capacity. The prison system is filled to capacity and beyond. But what do we do? We sit in our comfortable services on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and we shout our hallelujahs while the world around us is in need. We live in a nation that is becoming so polarized. Democrats versus Republicans. The right versus the left. But can I tell you, it's really a spiritual divide. It's really people who have the light and who are still in the darkness. That's the real battle that's going on. That's the real war between heaven and hell. And God has enlisted you tonight. You are a soldier in the army of the Lord. When I go places and, you know, around, around here with so much military in town, you know, people ask me when I'm uh, checking out at the store, they say, are you military? They're being polite. Because they want to give me a discount, you know. 
And I, I never served in the military, but what I'll, I'll tell them is, uh, no, uh, but I'm in the army of the Lord. Does that count for anything? Usually it doesn't, but sometimes, sometimes people get excited. Usually they just look at me like, dad joke. But there's a reason why I do that. Sometimes, who knows, could open up an opportunity. We live in a world that is in desperate, desperate need. Jesus in our scripture used two illustrations of what the Christian should be. Did you hear what they were? Salt and light. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Everybody say it out loud with me tonight. I am the salt. I am the light. It's not anybody else tonight. If you are saved, if you are right with God, then you are the salt and you are the light. Let me tell you why that's so important. In the ancient world, salt was one of the most important elements on the earth. You know, in the ancient world, only in the last hundred years have we invented such wonderful things like refrigerators. Only in the last hundred years have, have we had the blessing of having food that lasts for a long time because of your fridge. If you were to uh, buy a steak from the store a hundred years ago, do you know how long it would last? If butcher cuts up the cow and you buy the steak and you take it home, you better cook it at night. Because it's not going to last more than 48 hours. It's going to get rotten. It's going to get filthy. And so what would they do uh, before the time of refrigeration, before we had plastic and before we could preserve our food well, you know what they would do? They would use salt. You ever eat beef jerky, right? That's, that is what salted meat looks like. It means you can take the meat, you can add salt, and what does it do? It preserves it. It saves it. It takes something that is rotting and stinking and filthy, and it preserves it for another day. Oh, that'll preach. Can I remind you tonight? You are the salt, and we live in a world that is rotting, that is stinking. Sometimes we look at the lives of people and we say, oh, Pewee, I'm so glad I'm not like those sinners. But you're the salt. You're the refrigerator. You are the one called to be the preservation of this wicked generation. I believe that we live in a time when, when people are so confused about gender and sexual identity and homosexual problems and on and on it goes, right? And all of these are sin which leads people to corruption and degradation and mental problems. I'm telling you. Who's going to preserve them? The church is the salt. And if we are not applied, you know something about salt? If the bucket of salt is here and the dead rotting meat is there, can I tell you? It's not going to help anything. The salt needs to come into contact. They would take that meat and they would put it into the barrel filled with salt and they would bury it, cover it up. And they would leave it there for a time. It was in contact. See, this is the problem with the church world is that we have removed ourselves. 
What would happen if Jesus did that to you? What would happen if Jesus removed his presence from your life? What would happen if the Holy Spirit said, hey, good luck, buddy. That would not be a good day, would it? (laughs) If the church is going to have impact, it will only be as we are in contact. When you take away the salt, you take away the basic necessity of life. This is a picture of the world without the gospel. Secondly, we are called the light. The natural world cannot exist without light. Did you know that light was the very first thing that God created? In the beginning, God said, let there be what? Very first, that was before the sun and before the moon and before the stars. You say, where did, this, where did the light come from if there was no sun? That's a good question. You know, in, in the book of Revelation, it says that there is no need for the sun in heaven. Do you know why? Because the lamb is its light. And there is no need for the sun because light will pour forth from the very presence of God. Light is the very first thing that God created. And when he said, you are the light, what would happen if all of a sudden the world was shrouded in darkness? What would happen if we no longer had fluorescent light bulbs or headlights on your car or, uh, or, or little lights next to the floor when you wake up in the middle of the night? What would happen? What would happen if every flashlight on your phone was broken and you couldn't see? All of a sudden... The world would be a very dangerous place, wouldn't it? A world that is shrouded in darkness is a dangerous world. The plant life would shut down. Animals would not be able to hunt or eat. Humanity would be lost. When God looked at a city called Nineveh, the book of Jonah... He called this man to go and to be a witness in that city and to prophesy to it. And one of the last scriptures in that book is God is explaining his heart to the man Jonah. And I want you to hear this tonight because God's heart has not changed. Now, just to give you a little context, Jonah was a Jew. And Nineveh was not a Jewish city. Nineveh was a pagan city. If you've ever seen the VeggieTales version, <laughs> it was a place where they would slap each other with fishes. It was filled with idolatry. It was filled with pagan rituals. It was filled with human sacrifice. It was filled with wickedness. And by the way, history tells us that, that Jerusalem and the Jewish armies had been defeated by Nineveh. They were their political enemies. And now God has called Jonah, a Jew, to go preach to Nineveh. Do you know what Jonah wanted to do? He wanted nothing to do with those people. God, really? The Ninevites? I don't want to preach to them. I want them to burn forever. I want them to be judged. I want them to die because I know this person, that person, and this person who died in the army fighting against them. No wonder he didn't want to go. 
No wonder he ran away from the will of God. Can I tell you? Sometimes preaching to Nineveh is not easy. But listen to what God says about these people, the Ninevites. God said, Jonah 4, verse 11, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? You know what that means? They were in darkness. They couldn't understand morality. They couldn't understand right and wrong. Oh, beloved, we live in modern-day Nineveh. Our culture is descending into moral darkness. You, you, young people in this place, you're under the age of 25. You are living in a generation that is more like Nineveh than our generation was. And we look at the generation and we see the rallies and we see people shouting their abortions and we see people uh, who are uh, rejecting biblical authority and morality, rejecting the God of the Bible, the morals, the standards, rejecting those things. And what do we do as Christians? Sometimes we say, ew, filthy people, yucky. We don't like them. Just separate ourselves from them. And yet, could it be tonight... That God sees them with a heart of compassion? Just like he saw you with a heart of compassion when you were in your sins? Do you remember when you were in your sins? Violating God and his commandments and God had mercy on you? It removes our excuses, doesn't it? So let me dispel some myths tonight some reasons why we don't evangelize sometimes we don't evangelize because of our own ignorance we don't know how to well that's not a very good excuse because you can learn you know the difference between ignorant and stupid right ignorance can be fixed stupid is forever i don't think there's If you're saved, then we know that you're not foolish in the sense of the Bible. Foolish, stupid, living away from God. But if you're ignorant about how to witness and how to evangelize, then learn something. Sometimes we get hypersensitive about people. We overthink things. Am I the only one who overthinks about some things in life? Oh, if I, if I say this, then they're going to say that, and then it's going to be bad, and then I'm going to get embarrassed, and then I'm going to start sweating, and then my hands are going to stink, and then, oh, I better just not do that. We get super sensitive. What if I offend people? What if I hurt their feelings? What if you save them from hell? What if you open their eyes to the truth? Sometimes we've had former failures in the past. Well, pastor, one time, one time I prayed for a guy. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> one time I was at my job and this guy who, was, uh, who I was working with, um, he was having, um, I think it was called sciatica in his spine or a slip disc, something like that. But he was in excruciating pain. And so he, the only way that he could have any relief and, and work at his job was that he would have to stand up straight. And he would be able to stand up straight for a few hours and then I'd see him, he'd lay down flat on, the, on his back. 
and try to stretch it out. And it was so painful for him. And, and I, I just seen him. He's just, I mean, almost on the verge of tears every moment for eight hours a day. I'm watching this guy with a slip disc in his back. So, I, you know, I'm like, man, I've seen, I've seen God heal, heal people. I've seen Pastor Mitchell pray for people. And they get radically healed. I said, hey, I said, I said to him, I was like really nervous about it. I said, hey, would you mind if I prayed for you? See, maybe God will heal you. So he said, hey, I'm, w- I'm willing to try anything at this point. I've taken all the medication. doesn't work. I need an operation or I need a miracle. So anyway, we go out. Uh, we take a break from the job, and we go out in the back. He's smoking a cigarette, and I, I said a prayer with him. I said, hey, let's believe God, man. And I put my hand on his back, and I said, God, hear our prayers today. In Jesus' name, bring healing. And, I, and then, I, you know, I did like Pastor Mitchell. And I said, loose him, you know. I, I just did all the things that i seen. And the guy's standing there looking at me. <laughs> I said, are you healed? He said, no. <laughs> it still hurts just as bad as it did. And I said, oh. All right, let's go back to work. <laughs> it was so embarrassing, man. Such a failure. I was like, I tried this, Lord. I guess it doesn't work. I could have got stuck there forever. You know, since then, I've prayed for a lot of people to get healed. I don't know if I was having an off day or maybe his, he was just an unbeliever. I don't know what happened, but I do know this, that God is still on the throne. And you might have had a thousand doors slammed in your face, but I want to tell you this. When you have one person who responds to your testimony and says, what must I do to be saved? And says, oh, I want what you have. It makes it all worth it. One person, if you pull them out of the fire, one person, it makes you forget all of the other flyers that got crumpled up in your face. Oh, and it makes it so, so worth it. Sometimes we just get apathetic, don't we? What is apathy? It means a lack of passion, emotion, or excitement. A lack of interest or a concern for things that other people find moving. I want to encourage you tonight. You don't have to become apathetic. God has not become apathetic. God still looks at this generation and says there's still a people that he wants to rescue. Did you re- can you remember tonight that Jesus died for every man? I don't buy the garbage that the Reformed Church teaches that Jesus only died for the very select few. Jesus died for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The blood is enough to save every soul. And every soul can have a chance to receive that blood, to be cleansed and healed. And there are people walking down the street right now that that blood it could apply to their lives and they could be radically changed and they can have their names written in the Lamb's book of life and they could be your future brother and sister. For all eternity. And we get a little embarrassed. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
I believe tonight as we close, I want to remind you that this idea of reaching out to the lost is not just something that God commands us to do, although, although it is a command. But I believe if you care about who God is, about his character, this is something that is rooted in his very nature tonight. I want you to hear me well. This is not just something that God wants us to do. It is something that God is. This is his nature. I want you to think about this quickly as we close. God created a world where people are able to speak to him. He didn't have to do that. God could have created a world in which air was not clear, that we could have lived in a fog our entire life. You know, there's other planets in our solar system that are like that. The entire atmosphere is nothing but gas and fog and mist. It's impossible to see in that city, but not the earth. In the earth, we live in an atmosphere with invisible air that we can see. But more than that, God created a world where you and I can clearly think and where we can cry out to him. That was God's idea. He created you and I in such a way that life, living a life of sin, causes us to seek more. C.S. Lewis, famous quote, I love it. He says, if I find inside myself something which the world cannot satisfy, then I can only conclude that I was not made for this world. That there must be something beyond. That if I give myself to everything the world has to offer and still feel empty, which is what sin does to us, then it must be that we were not created for this world, but for another. And we look at the people that are next door, that are in the next cubicle, maybe people that are your friends, your family, people that are on your street or in your apartment block. And they are desperate. And you and I have the answer. This is a reflection of God's heart. God is a God of outreach. Do you know that God reached out to you? Do you know that God, long before you even had an idea in your brain about heaven or hell or right or wrong, that God was already reaching out to you? Isn't that amazing? Adam and Eve in the garden, they had sinned. They deserved God's wrath and condemnation. God could have squashed them like bugs. And he would have been right to do it. But he didn't do that. He came seeking for them. Adam, where are you? He came seeking them out. God has a record in his word of seeking out the lost. Jesus told the parable of the lost coin. He told the parable of the lost son. He told the parable of the one sheep that went astray and how the shepherd left the 99 who were safe and in the gates and he went out into the dangerous wilderness to rescue the one that was lost. It's a reflection of God's heart. And if you claim to be a Christian tonight, 
If you say, I have been washed by the blood of Jesus, then this heart should also be in you. Let this mind, which was in Christ, be in you tonight, that we can think the same thoughts as God does. If this is the God who created us, and these are his priorities, then what are yours? I want to close tonight with a little clip from a film. A little YouTube. Uh, I think it's about four minutes. And uh, I apologize in advance if there's, there is a little bit of graphic violence. It's a, a war story. And I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, uh, probably most of you have not. I happened to catch it on a flight somewhere or something. But it's a, it's a film called, uh, uh, what's it called? The Hacksaw Ridge. Okay, it was, it was uh, done by Mel Gibson. Came out a few years ago. It's a story from World War II about a guy named um, da, da, Desmond Doss. Thank you. Desmond Doss. And let me set up this clip for you. Desmond Doss was a Seventh-day Adventist in, in World War II. And when he was drafted, he came and he wanted to do his civic duty. But part of the Seventh-day Adventist denomination is that they do not take up weapons and shoot at other people. There are people committed to peaceful intervention. And so uh, he, he enlisted, but he said, I'm not going to shoot any guns. So you can imagine a struggle trying to get through boot camp without learning how to fire a rifle. And he had to, uh, he had to, he had to do a lot of things in order to uh, be trained. And, and so he became a medic, right? So he's going to go into war, but he's not going to carry a weapon. He's going to be the one patching people up on the battlefield. And so he gets deployed, and they go into, um, uh, I forget which island it is, but they're fighting on this island, and on this particular island, the Japanese are entrenched, and there's a large cliff. You might see it on this clip, but there's a large cliff, and in order to win the island, they're going to have to climb on a net up this cliff, go over the top, and they call it Hacksaw Ridge because the Japanese were entrenched on top of this ridge and with machine guns and uh, grenades, and it was terrible. Every time they would climb up over that ridge, it was like they would get eaten up by bullets. And so they'd send in wave after wave of soldiers, and then they would have to retreat and come back down the ridge. And for days, they would send people up, and only half of them would come back. And it was a horrible, horrible place. Finally won the victory. But in the clip we're about to see, he, is, he has been deployed with a group, with a troop of soldiers, who is climbing up over this ridge, and they're trying to advance against the enemy. And he's with them, but many, many of them have fallen. They've gotten shot. They've gotten blown up. And he's, remember, he's a medic. And they've called the retreat for the day. And the sun is going down, and he's the last one on the ridge, and he is watching as the rest of those who had survived are climbing down, and he turns around and he sees, he sees all this devastation and people whose bodies are broken and beaten up, and he's hearing the cries, and he's the last one standing. He has a choice to make, whether to go back down the ridge to safety or to go back and try to rescue and help some of his fellow soldiers. Are you with me so far? And this is the clip from the movie at that very moment. So... It's, it's dark, so uh, we might have to turn off the lights.
said, I don't understand, I can't hear you. That night, Desmond Doss saved 48 men. There are entire family trees that are alive today because of his hero heroic actions that night. He was all by himself. Everyone else had retreated. And he said, one more, one more, one more he lowered 48 men down the hill. When I saw that, I couldn't help but think, Lord, that should be me. Just one more. Every Saturday, that's what I'm thinking. Just one more. Lord, save just one more. Now the difference is, of course, that in our world, a lot of people don't want to be saved. They don't realize that they're in the midst of chaos, that they're in the midst of a battle happening all around. It's our job, it's your job to 
to go get one more. One more. I want to challenge you tonight. You have no idea who you could save, whose life you could transform. God could use you to rescue someone. Yes, it's hard. Did you see his hands? Did you see how much labor? Did you see the energy putting people on his back? Can I tell you that's what it's like to rescue a lost soul? Time, energy, prayer, phone calls, text messages, just make it for God. But you can do it because you are the salt and you are the light. Jesus, when he came to this earth, that's what he came to do. And that's what he wants from us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. No excuses. If you do not feel equipped to rescue one more, then it is your job to figure out what you can do. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh.